Hello and welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. My name is Mo Barrett, a leadership speaker and retired Air Force Colonel. Last month, we launched Courage Conversations, a series of episodes featuring in-depth one-on-one discussions with our nation's 65 living Medal of Honor recipients. The kinds of conversations you can't get anywhere else except right here on the Mission Inspire podcast. This month, I have the privilege of sitting down with Medal of Honor recipient and Marine Corporal Kyle Carpenter, who earned the medal for actions in Afghanistan on 10 November 2010, when he unhesitatingly shielded his fellow Marines from the blast of a grenade, saving their lives but sustaining life-altering injuries. He is America's youngest living Medal of Honor recipient, and he is one of the kindest, most inspiring individuals I've ever met. So with that, I am thrilled to welcome Mr. Kyle Carpenter to the Mission Inspire podcast. So Kyle, welcome, and thank you so much for being with us today. And um, I, I have to say right off the bat, I think everybody's going to be jealous of your IG handle, which is Chicks Dig Scars. I mean, come on. <laughs> that was fantastic oh thank you yeah in the beginning well the beginning of kind of uh the medal of honor phase of my life yeah it was uh highly advised to me that i should change that uh because it wasn't uh very professional um just by marine corps and professional people kind of throughout the pentagon that were kind of preparing me for the medal of honor uh rollout Uh uh but i thought I think it's pretty harmless. I think it's uh, funny. And, you know, ultimately I kind of thought, you know, what will this lead to if I'm changing things that I like or that I think are funny or things about my life? Uh, because, you know, I would understand if it was, um, you know, negative or detrimental or anything like that. But uh, something like that, I'm glad I stuck with it because it's been a hit. I think people enjoy it. And, uh, you know, humor was a big part of my journey and is a part of my journey in life. And so, um, yeah, I stuck with it. And so I'm glad you I'm glad you like it. <laughs> I, I love that. So it's funny. So I call myself a catalytic comedian because I believe in the power of laughter as well. And I think that I, I love the fact and I love knowing the backstory behind that. I love the fact that someone from the Pentagon, because, you know, the all the well-meaning people are there. But I love the fact that somebody said, hey, maybe you want to think about this. But I and I really, really appreciate the fact that you held to your guns and um, that you gave it some thought, but that you kept it, because I think um, that that says that says so much right there. So we're already well, off to a great start. I love that. So Yeah, but but your story is one of unparalleled courage and sacrifice and devotion to your fellow Marines, not just standing up to the Pentagon people. So if you <laughs> don't mind, what I'd like to do is take all of our listeners back to that day in um, November of 2010, which you've now come to refer to as your alive day. So can you tell us Tell us all about it. Yeah, so uh, my live day, like all of those that have, uh, you know, been injured serving this country um, and, you know, just in life in general, uh, sometimes seemingly terrible, physically difficult and devastating things happen. Um, And so November 21st, 2010 was that day for me. And it was a day that an enemy hand grenade changed my body and my life forever. Uh, It was um, strange and in a way dark and uh, difficult day. 
uh, from what I remember until I went unconscious for five weeks. But, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, ultimately that day, everything else aside, it started this beautiful journey of uh, self-discovery, purpose, and perspective that I've been on now for 12 years uh, since that hangar day detonated. Yeah, so it's I, I like the fact how you refer to because you just had a birthday, right, on the 17th? Yeah, I did. Good yeah. job. So you just had a birthday and then um, but then your live days of just almost a month later. Um, and I love that you you celebrate that because I think that's 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 something a lot of people would push under and, and kind of repress. But I love that you're kind of you are embracing that and being appreciative. And I think that leads a lot to the appreciation that, that you have. Now, as I understand it, you had like 40 surgeries uh, during the recovery, plus being in the coma for five weeks, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, maybe not exact number, but that's about where yeah. me and mom lost count. But uh, 40 yeah, is a well, good, that, yeah. good, uh, well-rounded number when it comes to surgeries. But, uh, you know, a lot of those were I would be put to sleep. You know, that's a delicate process in the beginning because of the yeah. amount of, uh, depending on injuries, but the amount of trauma, you know, it's always uh, risky or there's always a sense of risk when it comes to anesthesia and putting a healthy person to sleep. And right. so to capitalize on uh, those times that I was in a coma, but also at some point in those five weeks, it became medically induced. Um Sometimes they would do three, four operations in one anesthesia period. So I'd go into surgery. They would do a washout uh, for infections. And that's, you know, as simple as it sounds. Well, not the actual uh, practicing of it, but uh, right. you just wash out the wounds and clean them out um, and to prevent infection. And they would also do other things uh, if they needed to. Uh, structurally repair my bones or whatever it was, they always mm -hmm. tried to do as much as they could to put me to sleep as little as possible. And in the beginning, when I woke up around Christmas, uh, those surgery periods and days were very frequent at times back to back to back. Um, and the majority of the days throughout the week, but as time and my recovery went on and I began healing um, and really when I started being able to stand up on my own and start moving around and getting out of the bed. Um, that gave me a whole new kind of sense of life. But um, yeah, about 40 surgeries and a three-year recovery, which was very uh, difficult at times. But one of the main things I learned is that many times in life, the most difficult situations or difficult periods moments of adversity uh, teach us the greatest lesson. So uh, I became um, well-practiced in trying to find even the faintest silver linings because they're always there through any situation. It's just, right. um, I guess, if I had to say kind of one, one focal word that really summarizes my recovery and journey is perspective. And I just learned early on that, you know, perspective really shapes not how we see the world around us, but also, you know, how we fit into that world and how we contribute and how we can, you know, help our minds and, you know, ourselves in general to, you know, always see, you know, be able to see that glass half full 
you know, but right. never forget when you could only see it as half empty. So that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking, I'm sure a lot of listeners are the same way, like myself included. Like I stub my toe and I'm curled up in the fetal position. I want sympathy and flowers and balloons <laughs> and candies. You were talking about, I, I mean, you know, having a jaw reconstructed and a prosthetic eye and new teeth and skin grafts. What are your coping mechanisms? To, how do you overcome that? How do you how do you search out that half full glass or how do you find that uh, silver lining, no matter how dim it may be? Because that that cannot be easy. And I know those are some dark and difficult days, but what are your how do you find that perspective and how do you train yourself to find that perspective? Well, first and foremost, Mo, I'll tell you that when I stub my toe, it's the exact same result. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all on the, the journey of life and stubbing our toes, you know, together. But, you know, I will say, I think the foundation of it all, I woke up and I'm alive. Yeah. Because those moments on the roof as I was bleeding out and as I was fading and thinking about my family and and really experiencing what I truly believed in my heart and was certain of to be my final moments. And so when I woke up, from the moment I woke up 12 years ago to this moment we're sitting here on this podcast, I've been and I feel like I always will be in a perpetual state of disbelief and gratefulness mm -hmm. that I even woke up, period. So having that foundation waking up to my loving and supportive family, to my Marines, who those that became amputees in the weeks or months leading up to my injury, we were all recovering at Walter Reed together, mm -hmm. them rolling by my room just to say, hey, a lot of times they couldn't even visit me because I was out or I just really, you know, couldn't handle any more than what I was going through. Uh, but they would just say, hey, and give me a wave or stick their head in and tell my parents, you know, they're in a wheelchair and they're saying, let us know if you need anything. And uh, it's yeah. just uh, and then my my medical staff or team and I would say family at Walter Reed, yeah. you know, they wear the same uniform that we did. And so it's beyond a doctor. You know, all doctors are amazing. And, and the oath that they take to take care of everyone, you know, no matter where you're from, how much money you have your background, your ethnicity, race, it's its our healthcare system and our doctors and those in the medical profession is incredible in itself. But when you wear the same uniform, it goes to a, a, a place beyond just the basic requirements. It's, it's right. a sense of family. They care about you, not just physically putting you back together and helping you get back to your new 100%, but they truly, truly care. You know, they, mm -hmm. they stay until 10 PM to make sure you're okay. And to check out for the night before they go home to let you know, reassure you that they'll be there at 4 AM for morning rounds. And they are every day. And so yeah. they just really love and care for you. So, you know, them with my family, my Marines being alive and no matter what, being here to have the chance to just try to get better and to try to learn how to move forward. And, you know, every single day is, I truly feel like it's, you know, a bonus round. And so, yeah. um, it, it, 
through most of my journey, it was actually hard to kind of be too down and out because ultimately I was still here. And, you know, I knew I'll never forget what those final moments uh, felt like. That's amazing perspective. And I think it also is a good, it's a good reminder. Um, I love the fact that despite the condition you're in, that this is a good reminder that the littlest thing, like just waving at somebody or just checking in on somebody can make all the difference. And, and it's the difference between making somebody a, a stranger or an acquaintance and making them into that part of that fabric of that family. Like again, whether they're a doctor or whether uniform or a civilian or just in a similar situation to you. So that's a powerful reminder that you know, just going out of your way to wave is really not that big a deal, but can can be a huge deal to the recipient of it. So that's a nice reminder of that. Yeah, that was so well said. And, and you know, I couldn't agree more very quickly. You know, one of the main questions I get asked is, what were you thinking? Which is a pretty good question when it comes to what were you thinking when you jumped <laughs> on a hand grenade? Uh, or, you know, why did you do that? Or how did you do that? And so for years, it was it was actually frustrating because so many people in the world and the Marine Corps and the investigators into my incident, everyone wanted to know about the five seconds of my life that I couldn't remember. Right. And, you know, physically, I remember how I felt after the grenade, grenade detonated. But before, I don't remember seeing it, hearing it land, thinking about it. And so I grappled with that for years because although I couldn't remember, I knew that question would keep coming. And so instead of being frustrated, I started thinking about, okay, even though I can't remember, how can I work through this to get to an answer that I'm at peace with and that mm -hmm. hopefully those asking me will understand. Right. And I realized as I was kind of self-reflecting that I was asking myself, those questions in the tense that people were asking me. So they were saying, how did you, how did you, how did you? So I started saying, well, how did I, why did I, what was I thinking? And then I finally realized one day that, you know, it's my journey, but it's not really my story. There yeah. are Marines that covered grenades for their fellow Marines in every conflict. There are those that at 17, 18, 19 years old, when they knew that the chances of survival were slim to none, when that landing craft door opened, they still charged onto those beaches during World War II. Right. The teachers that barricade their classroom doors from shooters, people that drown often to that have never, you know, whether you've worn the uniform or you've never served a day in your life. People that drown trying to save others from drowning. And so I, I finally realized that it was the human spirit that allowed me to do that. It wasn't necessarily Kyle and going off what you're saying, a wave, a hello, a, Hey, how are you doing beyond in the mornings? You walk into the office or wherever, and right? What do you hear? Oh, good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How's, how's the day going? Oh, I'm good. You know, weather's right. changing, whatever. It's like, it's really ask that question purposefully and give a minute for a, a genuine answer to come. But mm -hmm. with all that said, you know, you never know, even with the smallest gesture or hand of help, 
you know, how you can be helping and at times saving someone around you and being a hero for someone that, you know, you had no idea their struggle. Because another thing I've learned is, you know, people around us every day have gone through struggles that some of us cannot imagine and that go through them every single day and will until their final, you know, breath on this earth, people. Yeah. And it's okay, you know, when you get knocked down and have these moments of adversity, you know, some people heal physically, mentally, or emotionally in a couple of days, some a couple months, some a couple of years, and some the rest of their life. And right. I think it's important to not just say, hey, it's okay to struggle, but it's okay to struggle in your own time. Take your mm. time healing heal the way and, 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 you know, the amount of length of time that you need to. And so uh, thanks for, you know, letting me tell that story, but it's very of important course. because it's not, it's, uh, you know, it's been many years kind of realizing that, but, uh, and I know we're going to get into it, but, you know, with the museum and, and uh, just the Medal of Honor itself, um, doesn't matter if you served or not everyone can step up and help um you know in their own way yeah i love that one it just makes me think that grenades take all kind of shapes and sizes you know and again you're you're waving to somebody can be the same as throwing your body on that grenade what of that grenade of sadness or or feeling like you, you don't matter so i love that that human spirit that that's coming in your channel and that um through you which is a good segue to uh, the book that you wrote after you received the Medal of Honor, and it's called You Are Worth It, Building a Life Worth Fighting For. And so you talk about, in this book, you talk about the events that are leading up to you becoming a Medal of Honor recipient, but you also deal with these themes that we've just already been talking about that every single person can relate to, right? Finding ways to stay motivated, the importance of showing gratitude and appreciation or just waving at someone and waiting for a genuine response. And even just those small things um, to deal with those uh, like toast dubbing frustrations that we all do with every day. What compelled you to tell your story in, in that manner? That's a great question. And just to give a little context as um, to the timeline that we're talking about, I was injured in 2010. I spent three years recovering at Walter Reed and was medically um, discharged and medically retired from the military and I left Walter Reed in 2013. Just a couple of weeks after uh, I started school as a freshman at the University of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I graduated from South Carolina December of 2017. Now, congratulations. Thank you very much. It's my proudest accomplishment. So I appreciate that. Uh, and it was an amazing experience, especially after being trapped in the hospital for three years. Yeah, right, so, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, from the moment, really I joined the Marine Corps or, but specifically from the moment I left the hospital because of just naturally getting out in the community, very small engagements at first, but over time, I continued as a speaker to just try to improve and help people and connect with different groups and organizations. And so that kind of grew. And then when the Medal of Honor happened, um, it took it to an entirely you know, different level. And so with that said, I was, you know, 
running myself into the ground busy. I mean, I was, I was, uh, it's almost looking back, it's hard to imagine, you know, going through that again, or the fact that I even kind of survived that period in my life to begin with. So with all of that said, you know, through the years of really just trying to stay afloat and above water, and I was just living, you know, event to event and week to week, and just trying to figure out the type of college student I wanted to be, the Medal of Honor recipient that I needed to be, the retired wounded warrior Marine that I wanted to be, and just the the human being with this new injured body that I was still trying to figure out, you know, that whole part of it. And so it wasn't until I graduated that I started the book in beginning of 2018. Okay. And I waited that long, one, because there's no way I could have done it with the, through the chaos of school and everything else. Um, but also the, the, the times over the years that I thought about, just because I would get asked at events, hey, have you written a book or you go into? And so the seed was kind of planted and I thought about it, but I was always deterred because I knew that if the opportunity presented itself and I ever got the time to really sit down and put my full and best effort towards it, that I would want to. But I didn't know how to move forward and start it because I didn't want to write a book that was just strictly combat focused or military focused. I wanted something that could somehow transcend all boundaries and that anyone and everyone could not just pick it up and read it and understand it, but that they could take lessons from and apply to their own life. Love that. So over the years, you know, kind of loosely thinking about it in the back of my head, uh, I had a light bulb moment where I was going to these events and I realized that after the events and I was you know, mingling with people, I realized that the majority of people when they approached me would say, well, I was never in the military, mm-hmm. but, and then proceed to tell me their own journey of struggle and adversity. And so it clicked that just You know, not everyone knows what it's like to have served in combat or to be injured by a hand grenade, but everyone knows what it feels like to be knocked down in life. Everyone knows what sadness feels like. Everyone knows what, you know, hopelessness and just a longing to try to just get better. Yeah. And so at that moment, and thankfully that kind of came near graduation And so I thought, okay, I'm at this point where I haven't exactly figured out what I'm going to do full time after graduation. And so this might be this kind of golden, perfect opportunity time before I start scheduling anything, anything post postgraduate. And with the available time uh, of not scheduling anything, I'm going to start this book. And so it took me two years. And I wrote it from that exact angle that it, I just realized I could take my journey, work on some of the terminology and words that 
you know, might be understandable in the military, uh, but mm -hmm. that, that have an equivalent, but I just needed to find that for civilians and everyone else who might be reading it to understand. And so um, it took me two years and I wrote it. The non-important reason is I thought, oh, it'd be pretty cool to write a book and be an author. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, I wanted to say thank you to all of the people that helped me along my journey and get me to where I am today. Um, and, and it was overwhelming in a good way to mm -hmm. go through years of people helping you and picking you up. And it's overwhelming because, you know, thousands of people pour their themselves and their energy and their time into you to get you better, whether it's therapists, doctors, mentors, mm -hmm my tutor that I brought to Walter Reed for the six months before I left the hospital and went to school because I'm absolutely terrible at math. You know, my <laughs> tutor and just my professors and all of these people. And so I really wanted to do something timeless and that once I put it on paper, their thank you and recognition would be there forever. And what a great gift. Yeah. Thank you. And also, uh, equally as important, I had been holding on my family and I to so many stories. And once it got years and years down the road to where I sat down in 2008 to start writing, so many of my experiences over time had turned into life lessons. And those life lessons had evolved into perspective. And so there was so much that I had thought about and that I was still thinking about and, you know, wanted to always hold on to. Uh -huh. But unless you do a book or you're very thorough with taking notes uh, throughout life, I felt like a book was the best permanent way to do that. And, and I knew that once I did it, it would allow me to kind of just dump all of that that I had been trying to remember and hold on to and be able to say, okay, here's, here's everything you need to know about this point previous in my life and in my journey and recovery now. And thankfully mission accomplished because when I, when it printed and it was out there, which is kind of scary because you give a thumbs up to these words on paper and they're there forever. Yep. Uh, but my goal with it, you know, the reason I, didn't schedule one single engagement. I wanted to give it my full and best effort because at the end of it, I wanted to say, okay, even if I could change a word, I don't want to, or I don't need to. Mm -hmm. It's exactly how I wanted. And, and I accomplished that part of it. And also, um, you know, my suspicions were that if I did it, I could really move forward, focus forward and, and look forward with my life and my goals and, and where I was headed and so when I did that, it was just a great moment because I had accomplished it, but also it gave me a definitive point where, okay, now, you know, my new professional journey, my new personal journey as Kyle uh, begins. Yeah, that's awesome. I and mean, that's a great perspective too, because it's a literal new chapter in your life. But I, I love the fact that you, you have something tangible that you can show. I mean, there's something to be said for doing work that you can actually see the fruits of your labor, uh, but, but you also being a Medal of Honor recipient have a platform and a, a, an automatic door opener, if you will, uh, because you've earned this this medal into this very prestigious 
club for the lack, you know, society for the lack of a better phrase. I don't mean it in a fraternity sorority kind of way. Yeah, of now course. you can use that platform um, to show people, uh, again, it's just about wearing the uniform of the human being on this planet. It's not about Air Force or Marines or Navy or anything else like that. But I love that you're using that that spotlight to give voice to a lot of things that everybody suffers from it's the human condition that we all we all deal with so i love that and i i i think that's fantastic and i love that you devoted the time to it and prioritized that the, the other thing kyle that you said that i really i really appreciate and this is a kind of a message i use too is that we have all these different roles in our life and i love the fact that you're focusing on you know you're in this all these new transitions right i'm a, now i'm a college student now i'm a recovering vet now i'm a retiree now i'm you know all these different things that, and all these roles and that you dedicate the attention and time to each of those and looking at the responsibilities that you have um, in the way you want to present yourself in that particular role. What kind of college student want to be? You know, I want to be good at math, so I'm going to get a tutor. I love the thoughtfulness that you put in that. So um, that'll be a good book for everybody to read and a great, a great gift idea, not only for you to say thank you to the people that were part of your journey, but uh, for other people in um, looking to thank people who are part of their uh, journey and their story too. Well, thanks, Mo, and anybody that reads it, thank you for your support. I hope you enjoy it. If you don't, just don't give me a review, okay? <laughs> exactly. Just five stars. So you, but, but you kind of talked about uh, just the how busy your schedule was, and so obviously receiving the Medal of Honor can be life-changing. I watched your... Um, your the ceremony with President Obama and that was a fascinating it was just it was just neat to see the two of you next to each other um, but I know that that again we talked about the spotlight the attention all the receptions um, and also the memories that come back related to except for the the five seconds right um, but the the memories that flood back that led to you even receiving the award so where were you when you learned that you were going to receive the medal you know where were you geographically who were you with what were you doing all those things. I was a sophomore uh, in college. This was January of 2014. So the year that I received it, but uh, six months uh, before. And uh, a couple of months before that, actually at the end of 2013 in November, uh, I sat down with the Marine um, after the Marine Corps birthday ball up in DC and National Harbor. And she asked to grab coffee with my mom and I, and we sat down and she said, hey, pretty much, uh, you know, the investigation has been going on for well over a year now into almost two years at this point, because um, the first time they ever called me was early in the hospital. And I said, you know, they told me what was going on and they said, uh, you know, I'm Chief Warrant Officer Reeves. I've been assigned by the Marine Corps to your unit to lead the investigation, you know, wherever that, that may take us. And um, essentially, he just asked if I remembered anything that could help or assist in the investigation or complete the picture. And I said, I appreciate, you know, your, your hard work and your time and effort on this, sir, but I don't remember anything and there's nothing I can give you that will help. And so we hung up and years later, it was November of 2013, and we sat down for coffee and uh, Captain Kendra Motes at the time, uh, she said, uh, this is just kind of to establish connection and, you know, we want to stay in touch. The investigation is still ongoing. We have no idea where it's at, whose desk it's on, who signed it. 
uh, or if any of this is even going to happen or move forward. But if it does, I am going to, you know, be helping along with a team that will be assigned to you to look out for you, to prepare you for anything to come uh, public relations wise down to my uniforms. And so a couple months later, I was uh, about to start my spring semester at South Carolina and the calls and the check-ins got a little more frequent. And then they came down and spent time at my home uh, in South Carolina with me. And we got deeper into discussions of, hey, if this happens, you know, what type of brand do you want to build? Again, some of the questions I had already been thinking about, you know, the college student, the Medal of Honor recipient, the Marine you want to be, the person you want to be. And so, but the craziest part was, you know, for those months that we talked and the planning began, it was like we were planning for something that no one from the Marine Corps Commandant down uh, knew where it was at or if it was going to happen. So it was kind of just a planning in case scenario. Uh, We finally got word in February that of the exact day and minute that the president would be calling me. And uh, he called and we had a a nice conversation. And, uh, you know, up until the phone call, I didn't want to withdraw from classes because I didn't want to lose all those credits and then it not (laughs) even happen. And so in school was where I was at. You know, I don't want anyone to think that I didn't think it was important but I spent three years recovering. I worked hard. I retook all my ACTs and SATs, wrote entrance exams. I mean, I had to do everything a a high school senior did to to get to school. So I was at this new and different place. I was more of a student than a veteran and that's where my priorities were. So I wanted to do the best job I could like with the book. And so um, I waited until that phone call Uh, which came a few days after the withdrawal deadline where you don't get penalized and lose your credits. And I thought, well, I'm just going to push it until after the deadline and hope that the university of South Carolina understands that I have to withdraw at the request of the president. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah. uh, of the United States, not the school. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so thankfully uh, they did. And they kind of, you know, wiped that uh, those pre-semester credits And it was still very strange, though, because although we knew it was happening, now the second phase began of intense planning because it was strategic now because we knew it was going to happen. But also I couldn't tell anyone. So um, Ah. I'm at the Pentagon doing all of this crazy preparation and intense PR training and all of this stuff and not really how to do interviews, but more hey, if this happens and you get asked something uncomfortable or something you don't want to talk about, how to take that conversation and and give them enough to where they kind of get an answer, but kind of deflect and take that conversation other places it could go. Interesting. Yeah. And so they did a really amazing job getting me ready. But I was at the Pentagon all week and I would come back, fly back on Thursday or Friday, go back to my little one bedroom apart student apartment And I would be with my friends, tailgating, going to football games, being a normal college student on the weekends. And I had to play the whole game of, oh, yeah, finals are killing me, too. And, yeah, I'm in this class and this class and this is what we're doing. And because, you know, 
students and friends talk about that, you know, that you're there yeah, to go to school yeah. and go to class. And so uh, I kind of had to lie my way through the semester because I couldn't tell anyone. So it was a very strange two different worlds as a college yeah. student that I was living. But I received the medal in 2014. Uh, oh, and a little funny story. So I left class because I was sticking with, again, my credits as long as I could. I got the the notification that of when he was going to call. So I left class. I drove the 30 minutes home because I wanted to be with my family and my brothers who have been by my side from the moment you know I woke up. And so we checked them out of school and they're in the living room. And obviously a surprise is coming. One of them thinks that uh, we're getting a new family dog. And the other one thinks that dad got a new recliner. So there's, <laughs> there's our family priorities right there. Love but, it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, so I get home and I walk in the house. And the first thing I say is, uh, hey, does anyone have a phone charger? My phone's on 7%. Oh, and my gosh. mom freaks out like, the president of the United States is about to call you and your phone's not even charged. And then she's like, and your shoes are dirty. I'm like, well, it's just an, a normal phone call. Like they're not, it's not a full body zoom, but this is way pre zoom. Right. And so, uh, you know, I get the call and, um, and it was an amazing moment with my family there in our living room. And, you know, hopefully I didn't disappoint because we didn't get a new dog, but, um, yeah. How about the recliner? Did the recliner ever come? No, nothing. No, it, it, we were oh, 0 2 wow. that day. But, uh, <laughs> you know, mom, mom cried and dad gave me a hug and they just told me they were proud of me. And the weirdest thing, I don't know what I was thinking, probably just like days that I just got off the phone with the president. But I went back to class and finished out the day before oh, I Lord. before I withdrew. So I'm sitting in class in history, you know, learning about whatever and I'm thinking about my phone call with the president an hour before. And so uh, it was crazy. But, you know, I, when I got that phone call, as beautiful and, and powerful as a moment as it was, there was a very heavy component to that. Because as the youngest living recipient, soon to be of the Medal of Honor, the only second living Marine since Vietnam, and just a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, whether I wanted it to or not, my life was about to change forever. And so it was very heavy. You'll, you'll ask my mom and there was no smiles. There was no, you know, uh, and not that there would be, but like no high fives or like good job or anything like that. Um, yeah, that'd be super weird if, if there w would be, but you know, some people just yeah, think it's yeah. like this, really positive and happy and awesome moment. And I mean, it is because you're so humbled and honored to be bestowed something that represents so much and so much courage mm -hmm. and so many lives and so many last breaths, you know, taken, giving that full measure of devotion for country and yep. for those serving around them. Um, but, you know, I just uh, hope, you know, I, I hope I can be, but I try to live my life to be the best friend, the best person, the best Marine and Medal of Honor recipient that I can, because what it represents is it's a beautiful burden and it's far, mm. far, far beyond, you know, too heavy 
for words or, or too heavy for a tagline or anything like that. It's just, right. it's a beautiful burden and it represents our nation and all of those that, that sacrifice, you know, aside from the military too, those that stood in the bread lines during the great depression, yep. those that the farmers right now out working a 20 hour day in the fields you know, missing dinner with their families to bring in those crops so we can have food on the table. Yeah. You know, those who were refugees that came here because they, in their homes, were getting bombed every single day. And, right. you know, those, the children in Afghanistan that asked me, is everywhere in America like Disney World? Do you really have, do you, is there really a room in your house that gives you water something that they with no shoes on walk miles down the road in 115 degree temperatures just to get water out of a dirty unsanitary community well to put in an old gas can or hmm. an old bucket uh, to bring back to their mud hut homes that they're born that they grow up that they live and that they die in and sometimes around the age of 40 or 50 because of lack of medical care of, right. of the oppression from the Taliban and just, you know, having their heart and minds oppressed for their entire lives. I mean, it represents so much more than just this, even more than this country and even more than our military. I, I believe it is a, it, it's a beacon of hope and light for all of those around the world that, you know, wake up every single day, hoping that today's sunrise is a little bit better, a little more hopeful, a little less scary and oppressive than the days before. Yeah. Talk about perspective. That, that, that was a, a, a big bucket of perspective. You just poured right there. I mean, that, yeah, we, we so much that we take for granted that we um, we need that perspective. Um, and and you kind of touched on, too, that you are the youngest uh, Medal of Honor recipient. And uh, one of the, the questions I want to ask you, too, is so courage and sacrifice, patriotism and citizenship, integrity and commitment, the values of the Medal of Honor, I, I think we can all agree are more important than ever right now. I mean, for a lot of the reasons that you just said, the, the, the things that we all take for granted, and so the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation is working to share those exact values by creating the museum in Arlington, Texas, and also a monument in D.C. Why do you think it's important to pass on those values to the next generation of Americans? You're the youngest one, so you're the closest to that next generation. Why is it important to you to pass on those values? I think it's beyond important. I think it's essential, if I had to say, you know, a term. Uh, and I, I would like to start out by saying that myself, along with all of the other recipients, are extremely, extremely grateful to the team and really selfless people that have come together to build this museum, to raise hundreds of millions of dollars, to bring the community and the country together. Um, to really build a culture before the museum's even built to build a right. culture around it and what it represents and what it's going to represent. 
So I just want to say thank you. Um, and it's essential that we do things like this. And Medal of Honor Museum aside, you know, when it comes to monuments, when it comes to the Smithsonian's and the, the, the museums out there, it's essential because we have to remember as a country where we came from, yeah. how we got here, the incredible, courageous people and Americans that at times carried this country on it on their backs, those that from their sacrifice, their hard work, their courage, their optimism, their chasing of the American dream built the foundation of what we are and what we are sitting on today. So as a country, it's vital that we always remember and that we never forget. And as human beings, it's so beyond important that we have a place to go to and examples to look at that show us just as people, as human beings, what we can do for each other, what we can survive through, what we can take, and what we can be victorious through and from. You know, to have, and, and we talked about it earlier, but the, the human spirit is what's heroic. The Medal of Honor just re represents that. And anyone can be heroic and save someone's life in the biggest or smallest of ways. So this museum, what I love about it is, yes, you will see the Medal of Honor in there and stories of Medal of Honor recipients. But just like my moments on the roof and just like all of the heroic stories that happen every day out there, you can plug your own journey your own adversity, your own victories into our stories. And they are just as fitting. So by saying that, what I mean is this is going to be a museum and a place to show everyone that they can be heroic, to show everyone that ironically, even though you're in a place that celebrates our military and the Medal of Honor, you don't have to have served. And you absolutely don't have to be a Medal of Honor recipient to step up in a time of need for those around you. And it's just, it's just going to be so well done. I mean, the team has just done such an incredible job so far. Thankfully, there's super smart people out there spearheading this. Uh, and not me from my mathematics skills, we'd be out there just set. <laughs> hey, you set, had a tutor. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Setting up like a museum tent or something, but uh, <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, in a way you could look at it and say, well, this is, this is overdue. We, you know, all the other museums and monuments and everything, you know, you know, better late than never, but I look at it and I know my fellow recipients look at it as, again, we're just grateful that it's not just happening, but that all of these people, when they were doing other things in life, when they could still be doing other things, they are devoting every bit of their time and energy into this to make sure that it's done right, 
to make sure that it represents the Medal of Honor like it should be represented. Um, and to, you know, I think um, to ultimately help the country and just to bring us to bring us even more together and to remind us that, hey, service above self and we're all on this journey, you know, of adversity and victories and life together. Yeah, that's powerful. And like you said, it is essential. And and, and I love, again, that you keep reminding us that it's not about the, just having the, the cloth of the nation can look and take on many different forms, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, or where you fall, what tax bracket, or who you voted for, but that that, represent, that museum is going to represent the beautiful burden that we all carry. Um, of course, it's manifest and in, in messaged through the Medal of Honor and the, the heroics that you all did, but that everybody has that opportunity to do something, and again, fall in that grenade for somebody else, uh, regardless of, of, again, political affiliation or gender or sex or any of that stuff. So I think that's a really powerful message um, that those core values can be channeled, not just through the, me through, the, through the medal, but through the overarching values that it represents and all the things that you did. And, and you mentioned this too, there's this, I know that the recipients, you guys uh, can hang out and socialize with each other and, and uh, you know, kind of have your uh, your powwows and everything. Um, one of the cool things about this podcast is that we get to sit down with different Medal of Honor recipients. And each of you have these, these stories of service, not just in uniform, but before you got in there and the fabric of your family that I know is very tight knit. And then all the things you did to go beyond the call of duty. Um, but I want to know what, and this is something we ask everybody, is there another recipient whose story particularly inspires you? Well, I'm not going to be difficult and say every single one of my fellow recipients um, <laughs> because I'm continuously mind blown at just who they are, what they did, their incredible service. And so I'm, I still feel like that nervous Lance Corporal when I walk in a room with all of them. And, you know, I've been a recipient for over eight years now, but uh, it's just such an amazing group of human beings. And I'm just so just super humbled to be a, a part of the club, I guess you could say. But yeah. um, specifically, I would say uh, Woody Williams uh, had you know, was, uh, until he recently, uh, sadly, um, you know, passed, but for me, it, as difficult as it was, it was much more of a celebration. Um, and he was just, uh, and, and you can ask anyone this, even if they've only crossed paths with him for 10 seconds, he was just one of the most incredible human beings to have walked the face of this earth. And, you know, I, I didn't look up to him primarily because of his act of valor or that he was a Medal of Honor recipient. I looked up to him and he impacted me as, as greatly as he did because of the life that he lived after hmm. his service, after he received the medal. You know, at 95 years old, he know would do 50 flutter kicks before he got out of bed every morning wow. he would do hundreds of events a year for gold star families he created the 
Woody Williams Foundation, which has built Gold Star Memorials, very nice Gold Star Memorials that have brought the community together and, and, and said thank you in a very beautiful way to all the Gold Star families out there. And I believe he was 98, actually. Uh, he'd probably be kicking me, uh, you know, if, if if I didn't give him credit for three hard-earned years. But um, that 51st flutter kick is for you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, but along with mentoring me and, and, and what he did, just to imagine 60 years or more, you know, of your life after your service to be completely devoted to, yeah. committed to, and dedicated to others, to Gold Star families, and to, uh, you know, he already served. He received the medal. Right. He did everything that he was asked of and, and much more. But it's, it's, I think the best way to put it, as crazy as it sounds, the Medal of Honor was actually probably the smallest part of mm. his journey of service. And he just always inspired me. And one time we were sitting on the bus together after an event and he leaned over and he said, Kyle, he said, you know what the most important thing in life is as a recipient and as a veteran, I said, no, you know, Woody, I, I said, I, I have a guess, but I would love for you to tell me. And he said to honor those and their families who never made it home. Hmm. And that that's who Woody was. And I'm just yep. so thankful for, you know, even if I only got to cross paths with him once, I'm so thankful that he became, you know, a friend. And I spent the time with him that I did because, um, you know, he showed me that, you know, even when you get what some people would consider later on in life or in age, uh, the mission doesn't stop and the world doesn't stop needing you and your fellow veterans and Marines and gold star families, you know, don't stop needing you. So, um, I'm very thankful for him, but you know, if I had to say one, I would say my fellow Marine and, uh, vertically challenged, uh, person <laughs> along with me, uh, Woody. <laughs> yeah, he is fantastic. And what a, what a loving memory for, for, uh, us to end this with. And uh, I know that he was grateful for time with you as well. Um, just as we are all grateful, I am especially honored because I get to spend this time with you. Uh, but I do know that you are a busy man. And I know that everyone listening is grateful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us and your time with us. And uh, I know people are going to want to know more about you. So after this awesome conversation, you can learn more about Kyle and you can order his book and you can head over to WilliamKyleCarpenter.com. I also recommend uh, to watch the six minute and three second YouTube clip about your Alive Day, which was really, really powerful. Um, and if it doesn't give you goosebumps, uh, you need to watch it again. Uh, so everybody who, who wants to learn more about the National Medal of Honor Museum and how you can help its mission and Kyle's mission and our mission to inspire America, you can head on over to mohmuseum.org. And that's it for us today. Um, we'll sign off with Chicks Dig Scars, Kyle Carpenter. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening and join us next time on the Mission Inspire podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Mo. I really appreciate yeah. it. And hey, Kyle, everyone, you... life is worth everything you've got. So get out there and try to do something good and, and, you know, enjoy and appreciate and, you know, live every moment that, that you're afforded. Yeah.